Morrison plays the ukulele as Liberal Party burns Australia, Dyson Hayden and the liberal problem with women, plus good news about clean energy and trees. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your host, Ben Davison, and if my voice sounds a bit scratchy, it's because I'm still recovering from having lost it over the weekend. I am joined in our lovely study with the great, the glorious, the author of the very relevant (laughs) Q&On, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, Van Batam. How are you, Van? I'm good. I have a puppy on my lap. He is a very cute puppy. He's very cute. He's been very annoying, but he's too cute. I have to forgive him. I think all of our listeners forgive Germanicus for his various noises and flapping around and bumping into things. We get a lot of messages about you, Germanicus. Some of them, they're not even uh, conscious that it is you that they're messaging us about. (laughs) (laughs) For Van, it's been a huge, huge week in Australian politics. Oh, it's been pretty big. It's the second parliamentary sitting week of the year. Yep. The last one before the budget, I believe. Yep, yep. It's also not a Senate sitting week. It's just the House and Senate estimates. So there's lots of lots of pre-election shenanigans. We covered off some stuff last week. So many shenanigans. But you know, I want to I want to go through some of the stuff that's going on because at the moment there's a bit of a picture emerging in my mind, and I'm keen to get your thoughts on it. And I know our listeners will be keen to get your thoughts on it. You guys around. Morrison going on 60 Minutes, playing the ukulele. It feels very much like Nero fiddling while Rome burns. I got sent an extraordinary image, which I shared on social media, that one of my followers had made, and it was of the bushfire and a kangaroo hopping through the flames, and they'd superimposed Morrison playing his ukulele in front of it. It it was extraordinary. Like, it, it appears that the 60 Minutes... Piece where they were interviewed by Carl Stefanovic was that that whoever agreed to it from the Prime Minister's office or the Prime Minister himself yeah. thought that this would be a way of re-establishing his bona fides as Australia's daddy dad, that he, that the Stefanovic and crew would come and sit down with the Morrison family and Morrison would just do his whole daddy dad act and I'm just like you and that kind of weird sort of normal person drag that he does when he's building chicken coops or putting up Christmas lights or you know, yeah. his act, making a curry. And it didn't really come across that way. It was extremely strange. So we got the teaser and it was just, I mean, Channel 9 must have been killing themselves laughing, like, at what they got out of it because they released the ukulele stuff beforehand. Yeah, days before. Days before. And there was Morrison repeating the only line he knows from Dragon's April Sun in Cuba. Who Dragon, the band, have basically condemned the whole thing. They put out a press release, (laughs) you know, talking about their disappointment that their music had been used to propagandise Morrison in this way, which I thought was very polite to take the propaganda angle given the fact that Morrison ruins the song. 
I said in a radio interview yesterday that Morrison playing the ukulele is what happens when you send your children to Christian camp instead of art school. And can I just say, there's rather a lot of historical evidence to suggest it's really in the best interest of humanity to just let your children go to art school. All right? I just want to underline that in case anybody has not got that point. It doesn't matter what it costs. The cost to the world is far greater than not if you do not send your children to art school. So If if, they want to go. If they want to go. If they want to be engineers, is really not yeah. the place for them. Yeah. Also, accountants, not the place. We're not, However, we're not suggesting compulsory art school. Oh, no, no. <laughs> we're, not we're, not, we're not creating art school camps. What a concept, compulsory yeah. art school. Yeah. Oh, my God. Why can't you go to art school but, like a normal person? But, Van, the, the <laughs> I, by the way, anyway, full disclosure, I went to art That's school. That's right, you yeah. did. Yeah, yeah. Very normal. Um, but the, I, think, I think it might have... It might have worked under different circumstances, right? Like Morrison, I saw today Morrison apparently gave the Liberal caucus or the joint party room, which is the Liberals and the Nationals. Although you always know an election is coming in Australia when the Nationals start calling the Liberals the government. Yeah, that's right. But he, he basically said to them, you do your job, I'll do my job, I know my job, I know the path to victory, you know, I know what it takes. And I'm, and I'm <laughs> I've got there. a ukulele and I'm not afraid to use it. Yeah, and you kind of – I. I really feel like he believes that that would have been effective. And, you know, the ratings that Channel 9 got out of that episode of 60 Minutes were worse, 200,000 people less than the week before. The The audience dropped in half from the show that was in on before it. People, I think, have had enough. And I think it's the circumstances have changed, right? Like in 2019, Australia was in a very different place than it is now, you know, the, that 60 Minutes piece came the day after a devastating series of by-election results for the Liberal Party in New South Wales. And let's talk about those results. So um, the Liberals have been running <clears throat> really hard on a Labor have been infiltrated by Chinese spies campaign. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting, like, I mean, untrue, but also disgusting and does have, quite frankly, racist overtones, let's be fair. If you are targeting an ethnic group who are a significant proportion of the community and implying that they are traitors, well, that's um, that's racism. That is actually yeah. racism. And the fact that the Labor candidate was the amazing um, Jason Yatsen Lee, who is a prominent Sydney identity, has been involved in anti-racism and community groups. He's a pro-vice chancellor of Sydney Uni. He's an extraordinary person. Yeah. Like that is he's quite the candidate. Yeah. And it, it was kind of amazing that they were willing to plumb those debts. And, of course, they retained Strathfield, Strathfield formerly held by former Labor leader Jodie McKay. But also you had a shock upset in the seat of Bega. Let's put this in con- in context. Bega was held by Andrew Constance. Mm. It was a by-election because Constance is trying his luck um, to try and take the seat of Gilmore for Labor, which is traditionally a swing seat, has mostly swung Liberal for many years, but was won back by Labor at the last election and mm. he's trying to win it for the Liberals and make the transition to federal politics. I don't know if Andrew's timing is particularly good because the idea that Labor could win in Bega, Bega has never been won by the Labor Party before, ever, and a popular local doctor Smashed it. 
Like it was a what was this? Do you know what the swing was? Oh, it was plus twenty percent. I think it was an absolutely enormous swing. Yeah. And in that area, which isn't far from my beloved Wollongong, yeah, um, that's it. I mean, anybody who knows that area would be surprised. But of course, what isn't surprising is that the booths, as promised, that swung against the Liberals were places where there was enormous amounts of fire damage. Yeah, and of course, you've had Senator Murray Watt from the Labor Party absolutely cut sick in estimates, not just this session, but in previous sessions of Parliament House, about the amount of money that has been agglomerated by the Morrison government on promises for bushfire relief and recovery and never released. Apparently, it's sitting at something like $800 million. That's the interest it's earned. That's, oh, that's sorry. The, that, that's the interest. The the amount is something like $4 billion. Over four billion, four point two or four point five billion. Oh, I'm sorry for underestimating yeah. it. I thought eight hundred million. No, was that's, shocking. That's the interest they've earned. They haven't spent a dollar on projects, but they've earned eight hundred million dollars in interest. And they have been rightly punished by those voters, like yeah. rightly punished. Yeah. Like the first rule of politics is you don't betray your base. Yeah. And the idea that you know a traditional conservative rural constituency have gone, yeah, nah, is pretty amazing, I've got to say. And, yeah, and the Labor didn't run a candidate in Willoughby, which was the seat vacated by the scandal-plagued former Premier of New South Wales, Gladys Berejiklian. I think this was a mistake on Labor's part. I mean, you can mm. imagine Labor going, it's Willoughby, it's yeah. the North Shore, everybody's loaded. It's a former Premier's seat. It's a former Premier's seat. You know, rich white people from the northern suburbs of Sydney tend not to vote Labor, quite yeah. frankly, yeah. and you know, unless they're community contrarians, and I support that very much. Um, but they so they didn't run a candidate, and they should have because there was a massive anti-liberal swing in yeah. the seat of Willoughby, and of course there was some. And it, and it may can I just say, Van, on that point that the the counting's still ongoing because of the way this election was run in New South Wales. Uh, there's a lot of postal votes. Everybody got a postal ballot sent to them, uh, all in English, by the way. Whether, oh, yes, whether you spoke English or not, English was how you got your postal ballot. Uh, and they're still counting them. And the dis- and Willoughby is within a thousand votes. It could go either way. Oh, it is crazy. So Tim James, who's the Liberal candidate, and this is this is the thing, and this is what I want everybody to pay a lot of attention to what's going on with the Liberal Party. So there is quite a push from the right faction of the Liberal Party to take over the seats held by the moderates who are your traditionally wet Liberals, Mm, although mm. the political pendulum has swung so much to the right, they're not even wets anymore, they're just moderates. Um, And Tim, so obviously Gladys Berejiklian was a moderate, hence part of her popularity in the state of New South Wales Mm. was that she never went too far, she relatively championed traditional small-l liberal values, certainly very pro-business. And this Tim James guy is an absolute ideologue. Like, I believe he was employed by, he's a think tank guy. Yeah, I think he's a think tank guy. And, yeah, and that was not a pre-selection people expected him to win. But there's been a lot of very aggressive uh, pre-selection behaviours going Mm. on in the Liberal Party and this push from the less representative, less less popular in terms of the population right faction to push out the moderates, which is kind of electoral suicide because it's the moderate liberals who are the ones that tend to attract swing voters because Mm. they're not so far removed from the politics of the other side. And I want to talk about that a little because the what's we're seeing in New South Wales where Dominic Perrottet is 
from the hard right or the far right or whatever the 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 right wing of the Liberal Party. Be looking very uncomfortable in a suit <laughs> faction. But yes. what else would he wear? I mean, that's what I always find amazing about Dominic Perrottet. He looks so uncomfortable in a suit and yet I cannot imagine him wearing anything else. Well, he is from that right uh, part of the, the Liberal Party and the state is in absolute chaos. I mean, the nurses went on strike yesterday. 150 hospitals had strike action yesterday. Uh, over patient ratios. Like this is, uh, and yes, about a pay cut as well that the Perrottet government is trying to make uh, nurses accept. Three years into a pandemic and they want to cut nurses' pay. Seems unbelievable. Because after all they've been through, I mean, the just reward for their patients and their service and the hours they've been working, I mean, obviously you cut their pay afterwards. And, And at the same time, we've got rail workers in New South Wales and we've had some uh, people who are involved in what's going on in the rail sector in New South Wales contact uh, the week on Wednesday to say they've been trying to negotiate new agreements for eight months with the Perrottet government. Can they get a meeting? And and they're, they're struggling to get meetings. There's, you know, yes, we'll agree to that. Then the agreement comes back and it's not in there. There's a lot of what I would call bad faith bargaining. I know that's a, there's a legal term around that. So, you know, it'll be up for others to make a, a decision about whether it really is or not. But either way, the workers have voted to take industrial action. So there are stoppages and, and uh, overtime bans and other things going on in the rail section, uh, in the rail uh, sector in New South Wales. And it, and it's really the, the nub of that is effectively that they just refuse to support basic safety requirements around how people get on and off trains, about how guards are looked after when they get on and off trains, about security cameras, uh, and about having one agreement that covers all of the rail workers. You know, this isn't the only problem with public transport in New South Wales. We know that they were buying pieces of public transport infrastructure from other countries, despite the fact we have the industrial capacity to make public transport in Australia to actually make the pieces of the trams and trains. By the way, that's what we do in Victoria. (laughs) Um, But they refuse to do it in New South Wales. And what's happening, Ben? Oh, they've got cracks in them and they're falling apart. Cracks in the tram lines. The, the ferries are uh, basically broken and useless whenever there's a wave over one and a half metres. I mean, it's a fairly broken state of affairs. and, and it ref- It's a miracle of the free market, Ben. And it reflects that far-right Liberal Party thinking around the economy, that workers are interchangeable units, that if they don't want to do the job, we'll find someone who can. Well, I'm sorry, but it... Yeah, that doesn't really work with nursing, do No. And it also doesn't work with people who run public transport infrastructure. And I want to be really clear about this. The unions in nursing, uh, the health services union, the United Workers Union, these, you know, hospital-based unions, the RTBU in rail, the AMWU in rail manufacturing, these unions have been very, very strong around saying, no, we're not going to accept pay cuts. You know, we're not going to accept worse conditions. And I think, you know, the pandemic has shown again and again and again, when working people stick together, we get the right outcome. It doesn't matter what the government says. I'd like to do a shout out to uh, our comrades from various printers unions in WA. Yeah. 
who uh, who the government, the sorry, the government, the companies are trying to force, uh, not the government in that no, case. No, it's the West Australian. The West Australian is trying to force a pay cut. Well, didn't the uh, newspaper look fantastic yesterday? If you have ever disrespected a printer, let me tell you, yesterday was the day when you met a contradiction to your prejudice, sir, because the paper was unreadable. <laughs> the words didn't properly appear on any of the pages and all the photographs were like the colour the colours of an LSD dream. It was hilarious. And I think, you know, I'd encourage people, as we always do, to join your union. Oh, just join your union. Australianunions.org.au slash wow, W-O-W. You know, lots of people write to us saying they've joined the union. People write to us saying they've become delegates, that they've gotten active, that they use the week on Wednesday to talk about politics with their co-workers. Which we just love because that's why we do the show. I mean, the point of this show is to give you the information you need uh, to go out into your families, communities, workplaces, schools, universities and anywhere else and have a conversation about politics that you feel confident in. And I say this as somebody who frankly, is in management much more than I am on the tools. Uh, the Management don't know how to do everything. They don't know usually how to do anything. And quite frankly, the the West Australian editions that are essentially a Collector's smear, items. Collector's items of union struggle. You know, we can kind of joke about that because it, it it's such a powerful and easy to easy to see symbol of management doesn't actually know how to run the printers. Well, that's a bit funny. That's a chuckle. When it comes to driving trains or caring for people in a hospital or nursing somebody through surgery, what do you mean? Things that if you get them wrong, people will die. Then it's terrifying that there are still people in the Liberal Party in some parts of business that think those workers are replaceable and management could always just step in and do it. It doesn't work like that. Oh, everybody loves when management step in and do it. I know from my years in hospo, there was literally nothing that brought me greater mirth than watching management step in and do it. Management dealing with customers at the front line, hilarious. Management trying to clean the toilet or like fold the serviettes, loved it. I loved it. That were some of my happiest memories at work were seeing management absolutely fail to do the things that we did all the time. So Van, I want to I want to bring us back to this concept around, you know, Morrison obviously hasn't touched on any of those industrial issues. He still stayed well away. He's just like every daggy dad who's he did, never he, done the job that the majority of Australians actually hold. He did try to intervene in the docks dispute. Uh, when Patrick's was trying to terminate the uh, agreement for dock workers recently, which, by the way, the MUA and the dock workers won last week. So congratulations to them again. And congratulations on another victory over Patrick's MUA. Yeah, that's right. That's a time-honoured tradition that you're supporting there. Yep, that's right. A Liberal Prime Minister backing in Patrick's and the MUA knocking them both off. It's fantastic to see. But Morrison really is... He's playing the ukulele while his party burns down the country. I want to give a couple more examples here because I think there's some some important things we need to touch on. I mean, we've talked about aged care, the crisis in aged care. We've talked about that a lot on our podcast because it is a crisis and it is real and it's impacting people's lives and families. 
Now, 10 days ago, there was an announcement that 1,500 ADF personnel were going to go in and help aged care. Does Richard Colbeck still have a job? He's the minister, He's still the minister, way. yeah. Oh, he's still, he's the, minister. still the minister. The guy who went to the cricket rather than front up to the Senate inquiry. Well, you know, Van, 1,500 ADF personnel were supposed to come in. After all that scandal happened, finally Morrison agreed to send Australian Defence Force personnel at the request of the unions and the providers. Can you can you give us a guess how many have actually been deployed? Two. Slightly more than that, 106. 106. Now, I can tell you this. All the sabre rattling in the world from Peter Dutton. Rattle, rattle, rattle. About China or Russia. They're coming, Ben. Or anyone, Communists are coming. Anyone you like. Communists are coming. If it takes 10 days to mobilise 106 ADF personnel. Into aged care homes. Then we got no chance. Yeah, I don't really think. Well, somebody made this point on Twitter the other day. We sent a boat to help Tonga, and yeah. it fell apart. Yeah, uh, we're in this submarine deal where we won't even get any submarines for what twenty years. Something probably longer. And the our aircraft. Have we got the oh joint, the Joint Strike Fighter? Has the Joint Strike Fighter that cost eleven billion dollars turned up yet? It's like a golden dragon. <laughs> It's just you, you, you hear we the believe, rumors. We believe in it because other people have told us about it, but you, it's not you very look visible. For it. You look for it at the towards the mountaintop. So maybe at sunset, you you think you catch a glimpse of one. All I can say is Australia be grateful for fires, floods, and desert. Really, I think that's probably <laughs> our, our best line of defence. You know, and in, the and idea of Peter Dutton picking a fight with China. Like, seriously, it's like a kitten taking on a rhino. And, and you know, this issue in aged care just highlights that the Liberal government under Morrison and Dutton and all the rest of them have no concept about... Reality? The, reality. The, the capa- reality and its hard edges. And the capabilities that they have gutted from this country. You know, <sighs> 1,500 Defence Force personnel should have been able to be mobilised overnight. To mobilise 106 in 10 days... What's that? Ten a day, ten a day. That's ten. You know, hey, I could ra- I could round up more than ten people a day for ten days. You know, just by going around where we live and rounding up ten people a day and saying, "Do you want to help some aged Australians?" Yeah. yeah, actually, how many? Just you know, let's let's just have some fun because I have a feeling you'll know the answer to this question. All right, well, we'll play along. How many members of the North Korean Army can be <laughs> mobilised from Pyongyang to Seoul, and in what kind of narrow time window? Uh, well, they could they if the American minefields were not in place in the demilitarized zone, uh, where I've been, by the way, because I just love trouble. Yeah, North Korea could march a million soldiers across the DMZ to Seoul within probably forty eight hours. Okay, and, and frankly, they could probably hit Seoul with artillery straight off the bat. Like it, the the concept of preparedness in other countries that are actually face-to-face with a belligerent enemy, like in South Korea, North Korea situation, is totally different to what Australians can conceptualise. I just love the fact that North Korea, the hermit kingdom, where they're hard-pressed to maintain grain crops, could mobilise one to two million troops into South Korea and take their capital within 48 hours we can't get 1,500 people into aged care homes in 10 days. And it's... Let's just sit with that next time Peter Dutton wants to pick a fight with China. The Chinese must be killing themselves. They must find it hilarious. Or sort of like the sound of a mosquito in another room. Well, I mean, we're just not even close to 
prepared for a conflict. And, you know, in some ways that's a good thing. In other ways, what is happening with aged care and our defence force highlights a broader problem of gutting Australia's sovereign capability. And I want to talk a little bit about the NDIS because this week NDIS workers, NDIS providers, the Australian Trade Union Movement went to Canberra to talk about the NDIS, the impact of the pandemic, the fact that for many, many Australians who are living with a disability, they have to use their NDIS funding to try and purchase rats because they've got no other way of doing it. They have to use that money to purchase rats for their workers because they've become subcontracted and, you know, sham contracted. Uh, that the And that there was a report, a government committee report about the NDIS, which clearly said, and this is a this is a direct quote, the sector is overworked, underpaid, undervalued, and poorly trained. You know, that there is a need for 83,000 more full-time staff in the next two years to help support the 500,000 NDIS participants. The Morrison government could not mobilise 1,500 ADF personnel in 10 days. The, con- the idea that a re-elected Morrison government is going to find 83,000 disability support workers in the next two years in a sector that's already underpaid, undervalued and undertrained is laughable and, and disturbing. You know, China might be laughing at us from a defence capability position, frankly, because they, if they want stuff from us, they buy it. Like they're, they're not, that's what they just, oh, we'll buy your car, we'll buy your own, oh, they don't care. But when it comes to the impact on Australians in Australia in the services we need, it's it's hugely damaging. Oh, it's just it. Uh, the way that it confronts me is there are people who seem to think this vast bureaucracy of people who serve the national interest, like these huge communities of public servants, exist to clean everything up. And that's not true anymore. Like no. those massive post-war bureaucracies that ensured that the power was connected and, you know, you ensured that telephones were connected and came and put in sewerage and the, the things that people remember or have a historical memory from their family of these sort of vast networks of government employees that solve problems, they do not exist anymore because Liberal governments outsourced, subcontracted, privatised or just simply cut heaps of services. So when capacity starts to fall apart, there's no sort of shock troop of public servants to come in and fix it all. That's, I mean, the the case with the aged care homes, having to ask the army to provide that kind of logistical support and still not being able to muster it effectively, That's this is the price that we've paid for this lie that we were sold, the privatisation and subcontracting and outsourcing would lead to greater efficiencies because everybody would suddenly have this capitalist motive. Like it's absolute nonsense. And I'm quite sure like I'm quite sure that voting Australians don't believe it anymore. But we live in a country where the government is full of neoliberal ideologues who are convinced that the free market, this you know, nebulous mm. superpower that exists somewhere and has invisible hands, will just sort of fix everything. And it's nuttery. It's absolute nuttery. It doesn't belong in the realm of material reality. And and the evidence mounts every day <sighs> that it is, as you say, nuttery and outside the realms of material reality. More people died in January 2022 
than in any month of 2021 from COVID. You know, that that's just the reality in Australia. And total wages paid in the economy dropped nearly 9% in January. You know, do you think about that for a minute? That's nearly 10, almost $1 in every 10 suddenly wasn't being paid into the economy. Then, and that's because they let it rip. That's because they let the market decide. They, the, the, the ideological decision to simply leave us all to fend for ourselves, to forget about the gutted capacity of the public service, to forget about the fact that actually payroll jobs dropped. So all the Morrison propaganda about, oh, you know, unemployment's dropping and that's why there's inflation and it's a good economic problem. The amount of money paid to people as wages dropped in January. The number of jobs that were payroll jobs, and payroll jobs are generally more likely to have leave and other forms of entitlements, dropped as well. They just don't really care about any of that. And they're just totally focused on themselves, you know. The religious discrimination bill was oh. their big focus last week. This and week, can I just acknowledge to all the LGBTQIA plus Australians who listen to this podcast? I just want to acknowledge how awful last week was. Yeah, like it was absolutely awful, and we know from discussions we had with our family members that yeah. it was quite re-traumatizing and brought out a lot of feelings that were more than valid and it was just an absolutely awful thing to put the community to and i just through and i just want everybody to know our deep solidarity and empathy for people who had that experience last week and are still feeling the aftershocks of it it was totally awful and unfair and undeserved and all of those things and unnecessary that <sighs> you know you want a government that's focused on improving the lives of people not about appealing to special interest groups. Or right-wing bigots. And, I mean, I think generally yeah. appealing to right-wing bigots, like right-wing bigots are inherently bad. But it's it's ongoing, right? So this week, again, it's all about wedge politics. That little speech that I referenced before that Morrison gave, I know the pathway to victory. He thinks his pathway to victory is to paint Anthony Albanese as a danger and a risk. That's what he's trying to do. And so this week, guess what is suddenly a big important issue? Pineapples. Deporting. They're sharp. Deporting people who have a criminal conviction from Australia. These are mostly, by the way, people from New Zealand. Deporting them, right, automatically. Now, a government parliamentary committee dominated by Morrison's government said this wasn't really a big issue and shouldn't really be a priority because it's not there's not not huge crime spree of Kiwis coming over here committing lots and lots of crime. No, because their economy's better. <laughs> like, why would you? Why would you? Come why here? would you come here? So, but this has become a big building sort of, heaps of public housing. Yeah, again, but this know. is now the wedge that he's trying to get elbow on this week. Failed on religious discrimination last week. This week, after some really extraordinary parliamentary oh. business by the Labor Party, and we're not going to go into it too much but check out the weekend rap that van did my voice was broken yeah on the weekend rap on sunday i talked about it and i did a really long facebook post about it on my 
public Facebook page to talk people through the intricacies because essentially Labor were between a rock and a hard place and managed to get out by saying, yes, we absolutely support religious freedom. There shouldn't be any racism hiding behind a veil of justified, you know, self-justified religious persecution um, against the Australian Muslim community, the Jewish community, Hindu community, Sikh community, and we know that these communities of people are relentlessly targeted. We know that and it's appalling. Um, But they managed to work with Liberal rebels and members of the crossbench to gut the bill and it meant that after passing amendments and, you know, in all kinds of various combinations with some crossbenchers and not others and some mm, some mm. rebels and not others, they were able to take out the worst parts of the bill. So the Australian Christian lobby run by our friend Lyle Shelton and pals, although I don't know if he's the titular uh, head, he's yeah. certainly the leader for life, um, <laughs> they lost interest in the bill because they couldn't victimise transgender children in the way that they wanted to after the amendments were through. So Morrison walked away from the bill. And but it was all, I mean, it was awful. It was a discussion no reasonable person wanted to have. I'm glad parliamentary tactics saved the day, but it was terrible. But do refer to the weekend wrap if you want to hear the intricacies of what happened. And I think it's important for us to now also think about that Morrison's mindset in his own words to his own government is that he's focused on the pathway to electoral victory. And everything he's doing is basically drawing horns on Anthony Albanese's head and saying he's the devil, he's the devil, who gets you in your sleep. All done through that lens. And what do you know? Somebody's leaking against Alan Tudge. Now, Alan Tudge, of course, education minister who has been stood aside for some months due to accusations made against him uh, by uh, Rochelle Miller, his former staff member and mistress. Uh, he was in uh, married at the time. Now, this is a guy who lectured us about Australian values. He's a guy who uh, campaigned for uh, the no vote, campaigned against marriage equality, saying it would undermine family values. Now, there are lots of reasons why Alan Tudge should not be a Commonwealth minister. The reason that appears to be circulating and was reported by Channel 10 is that he advocated for Ms. Miller to be promoted from a media advisor to a senior media advisor and that he didn't declare they were in a relationship at the time. Now, Alan Tudge will likely not be a minister come the end of this week, right? There's a He's still going to be in Parliament, though. Of course. Yeah, yeah. He'll still be the member Dear for God. Aston. I mean, as if allegations of some of the most appalling behaviour you've ever heard are enough to have you stood down by the Prime Minister. And hopefully the, hopefully the good people of Aston will see the light and understand that Alan Tudge is not the solution for them and turn to, to Mary Doyle. Mary Doyle. Who, full disclosure, is an old friend of ours. Indeed. Who we were quite surprised was running for Parliament but can vouch that she's a lovely human being. Absolutely. And a hell of a singer. Hell of a singer. And I have to say, he's very committed to that area, having having worked with Mary for a number of years. I think it's fantastic that she's running. Oh, it should be I mean, a really good local member. She really would. So if you live in the seat of Aston and uh, want to 
channel your political energy and getting Ellen Tudge out of parliament and instead electing a really good person who's great fun at a party, like volunteer for Mary Doyle. I love it. I'm so into it. It, I think it's great. I think, though, when we talk about Ellen Tudge and we talk about this circumstance, you know, Richard Colbeck, I think there was some speculation where people – there was a there was a the, the rumor that a minister was going to be set aside due to a st- scandal, and there were only like what twenty five people on it. Like how many people are in the cabinet? Like that's not a guessing game you can realistically put in front of the Australian population. <laughs> is it Bridget McKenzie? Is it Susan Lay? Is it Alan Tudge? Is it Peter Dunn? Like which one of them hasn't had a scandal? It, it's really phenomenal that there any of them are in positions. Uh, you know, what about Josh Frydenberg? I mean, the waste. Who got slammed down in the AFR. It's like, what, the worst treasurer ever? Yeah, like, gravel rash to the face, I think, was the quote. Oh, man. Like, if you are a Tory uh, treasurer, the idea that you would be slagged out for incompetence in the AFR, where basically your job is just to serve their agenda, is extraordinary. And it's not like he's serving the agenda of the Australian people. Like, he's just getting it wrong. That's right. Oh, you feel a bit sorry for Joshy, don't you? No, you know? not at all. Oh, I not do. Not in any way. I feel sorry for him. But I mean, it- look at the team he picked. Look at the support it's given him. <laughs> you pave your own way, don't you, darling? You yeah, pave your own way. You do indeed. I think, though, it does raise, and it, it, for me, a question about the integrity of this government. Oh, can we bring up the fact that they are now admitting that they will not be passing any uh, federal independent corruption commission yeah, legislation. Even though it was an election promise, it's been a thousand days since they made oh, the promise more. that we'd get some sort of kind of integrity commission. Um, absolutely not. Well, and I think we could probably all guess why. Well, this is this is the whole issue, isn't it? Because We've heard reports of leaks. We've heard reports of backstabbing and backbiting and disagreements in the party room and disagreements in the cabinet. And we've got these drops and these leaks about individuals. And and frankly, you know, it was only a matter of time before this happened because there is a culture with the Morrison government, a culture of attacking your opponent, attacking the person. And we saw it with Grace Tame. We saw it with Grace Tame again this week where somebody dropped to the Daily Mail a picture of her on a couch with a bong. By the way, you can go to any tobacco store in Victoria and buy a bong. I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country. They make one out of an Orchi bottle, is as is the great tradition of the young. The Spring Valley yeah, bottle, yeah, the I Springer. Just, I just find it so funny. It's just like are we supposed to be shocked? Like I just – it's just particularly amusing to me because, one, who cares? But also I like imagining who they imagine is going to be shocked. Like old people these days, the elderly, are baby boomers. Do we really think that the generation of baby boomers, the people who lived through the 1960s and 70s, are going to go, oh, my God, Martha, there's a bomb. Like, really? <laughs> Can I tell a story? A very short one. Sure. A young Australian male director of uh, some whiteness and some privilege did a show at a major theatre company a few years ago, some time ago, um, that was designed to shock. 
And this was staged in a, you know, major Australian city and involved a lot of nudity and swearing and sexual concepts. And I remember this young director talking about how he's really going to shock people and, oh, it was just, you know, really going to shock them. And I was in the foyer after the show with all of these baby boomers, all silver-haired, all in their outfits, all obviously people of... of, um, Means. Means. And they were killing themselves laughing. One of them turned to the other and went, it was just like being back at university, wasn't it? (laughs) And that's how I felt about the faux outrage around Grace Time. And I'm like, I don't think it's a very good idea for people to start poo-pooing drug use, especially in the age of digital photography. Because I've been to the odd party myself and seen reputable members of the community engage in questionable behaviour, Ben. Well, look, you know... uh Malcolm Turnbull's son made that point very clearly on Twitter that people in the Liberal Party who want to attack Grace Tame might want to consider what photos of them might be flying around out there. Alex, Alex Turnbull, isn't it? That's Alex Turnbull, yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting tweet about Whose that. Whose own father, former Prime Minister from the Liberal Party, yeah. admitted to having smoked weed. Look, and I don't want to get into the ins and outs of that. My point of bringing it up is that there is a culture within the Morrison government, because it's not just this one-off thing with Grace Tame. It's not just Alan Tudge. It was also backgrounding against Brittany Higgins, backgrounding against Brittany Higgins' partner. There were all sorts of media reports about how the media was being generated around criticism of Morrison. Grace Tame herself said that she was asked not to criticise the Prime Minister. Morrison said, tell me who this is and I'll sort them out sort of thing. And her point that she made was it's not about you sorting them out. It's about sorting yourself out. Mm. It's about getting to the point where there isn't a culture where people feel the need to suppress dissenting voices. And that's what this is. She, Speaking of the hilarious Grace Tame, Queen Grace, um, put out a meme after that photo came out saying, yeah. you got me, I was performing April Sun in Cuba on the oboe, which was just <laughs> chef's kiss. Grace, we do not deserve you. And there is a really serious element to this as well because another thing that has happened this week is that Dyson Hayden, former High Court judge, referee for Tony Abbott's Rhodes Scholarship, uh, along with George Pell, by the way, uh, appointed by- What a duo. I mean, you know when Dyson Hayden and George Pell are recommending you, you must be a really top-flight kind of guy. Well, you're on the you're on the track to be leader of the Liberal Party. Uh, Abbott then appointed has appointed Dyson Hayden Royal Commissioner into trade unions. Yes, guys, that wasn't an acid trip you took at that time. Tony Abbott really was Prime Minister of this country for about 15 minutes. The dog is snoring. He'd prefer to sleep through it. It's so cute. <laughs> but Dyson Hayden also- This is a guy who, when it was pointed out to him in the middle of a royal commission that there were adverts going out to people with his face on it as a guest speaker at a Liberal Party function. Fundraiser. Fundraiser that was supposed to take place after the royal commission, he decided quite infamously 
to sit in judgment of himself as to whether or not that meant he was impartial. And judged himself to be impartial. He judged himself to be impartial. Yeah. Many, many commentators suggested he wasn't. Yeah. But this is the same guy. I mean, I guess if you're running a show trial of the union movement (laughs) with spurious evidence, nothing but hearsay and rumour, absolutely nothing concrete you can put on people merely to destroy the character of Labor leader turned Labor leader Bill Shorten, I mean... You'd think you were pretty justified in anything you did, really. As it turns out, Dyson Hayden's self-belief in his own righteousness extended to access uh, and imposing himself upon others because over a year ago, a report found that he had sexually harassed six women during his time as a judge the Vivian Tom report found this out. There were three women who came forward and took legal action against Dyson Hayden. That has now settled. Uh, and the Commonwealth, Michaelia Cash, interestingly enough, <laughs> once the uh, uh, ben loves Michaelia Cash. He's once such a the fan. Industrial Just relations thinks minister. She's a pillar of competence and integrity. Once the industrial relations minister who who leaked a botched raid by a government department on a union office. Once again, industrial relations minister, but also attorney general, has had to issue the apology to the three women in, who Dyson Hayden is accused of having sexually harassed. Now, Did she do it from behind a whiteboard? For over a year, these women have had to go through this process, even though High Court investigation, independent investigation commissioned by the High Court, said that six women had been harassed by this man. Not a word from the Morrison government. Not a word for a year, more than a year. Now, they're happy to background and snipe and undermine and try and attack and paint as the enemy of Australia, anyone who disagrees with them. But you can do almost anything to anyone else if you're on their side and they'll protect you. I want to make this point. Billy Bragg, who's one of my favourite musicians and just an all-round awesome human being, he had this really great Facebook post the other day saying that, He was talking about the far-right protests in Canberra and Ottawa and elsewhere, Mm. and he was saying you have this community of very privileged conservative people Mm. who are, you know, running this whole uprising, attempted uprising business, taking over Ottawa and the rest of it. And he said that the problem that these people have is that because of their money and their, you know, their race and all the privileges that they've inherited, They've inherited an expectation that used to exist in Western countries that the law existed to protect their interests but to bind other people. And, of course, what's happened is generations of the social justice movements, you know, anti-racism, feminism, you know, queer liberation, all of these campaigns for equality and egalitarianism have meant that now the law is binding these people mm. and protecting the rights of the powerless and that the reaction to it is so aggressive and so angry because they genuinely cannot believe that that is happening and they want to restore 
the old status quo. And in terms of Morrison's ongoing protection of people who do very bad things, you can see it comes from that same mindset that the law exists to protect them and to bind you. And yet the overwhelming majority of us have been building institutions and reforming institutions to say, oh, no, the law is there to protect and bind everyone. And that's really the heart of the issue. And, it, you know, Dyson Hayden is such an interesting and poignant example for me at a personal level and I think institutionally because of his background, because the union movement in this country has been such a driving force for all of those things that you mentioned, for women's rights, for LGBTIQA plus Australians, uh, supporting the Uluru Statement from the Heart, driving improvements in living standards for working people. Backing in the Wayfield walk-off, backing in the referendum, yeah. All these important advancements. And here is the person who was put into a position of power, a royal commissioner, one of the most powerful people you can ever hope to be uh, in judgment of the union movement. And as you say, rumour, innuendo, no no accusation too scurrilous to be explored in depth for days on end. People put in the dock for days on end over very sometimes sometimes quite a minor infraction, sometimes nothing but rumour at all. At the same time, he is, and he denies that he's done anything wrong, by the way, despite the findings of that investigation, despite the apology that the Morrison government has now a year later from the findings of the investigation issued, denies he did anything wrong. It is such a symbolic, totemic person uh, to be brought down, in my view, because really it does. It strikes at the heart of saying, no, we are all bound by the same laws and you don't get to occupy a position of power and privilege just to use it for whatever means you like. To self-protect. Yeah, it can't. And bind other people. Yeah. You know, like, and that's the issue for me is the powerless have the right to bind the powerful to justice and the law. And the idea that this this was a judge, this was a person who was elevated to sit in legal judgment of others and yet fundamentally did not accept that principle as the basis of their judicial philosophy is disgusting. And for anybody who's ever gone, oh, why do we have affirmative action? And it's like we have affirmative action to ensure that our institutions are not dominated by systems of bias and structures of bias. We do it to make sure there is a diversity of representation and that there are checks and balances on who gets to be powerful. Yeah, absolutely. No, well said. Well, well said. <sighs> Look, it, it's a, it's a <laughs> interesting many, is time. Is this a two big side <laughs> episode or is it, am I, am I up to a three big side? It's, a, it's a, a definitely a multiple big side episode. Look, I, I, again, I just want to give a shout out to all of our union comrades and colleagues who I think have, would have seen that Dyson Hayden stuff probably in a very similar light to myself. Um, and, you know, continued the struggle throughout the week for staff-patient ratios to stop pay cuts, to get the trains safe in New South Wales, to make sure that 
all of the things that Working People Need are functioning because that's where the struggle really is. So join your union because despite all of those other attacks, institutional attacks that happen, the union movement never loses sight of the fact that it's there and it's made up of Working People for the benefit of Working People australianunions.org.au that slash wow wow because then we know that you joined a union because you listen to that to this show and that makes us really happy it really like that, that gives us the joy yeah gives us the joy look can we have some good news van let's have some good news i think you were going to explain something really amazing to do with ammonia and nitrogen Yes. So scientists have found that the addition of ammonia to a metal catalyst containing the platinum-like element, and I'm going to get these wrong, ruthium, spontaneously produces nitrogen, which means that no added energy is required. Instead, this process can be harnessed to produce electricity with protons and nitrogen gas as byproducts. Now, what does this mean? Basically, we already have infrastructure around the world for the distribution of ammonia, and it's mass-produced from nitrogen and hydrogen in a particular process. But it's also uh, one of the things that we u- use uh, in in the creation uh, of uh, green hydrogen, right? So ammonia is a byproduct of green hydrogen if you can make it work. So there's a real opportunity here to produce green ammonia in which hydrogen atoms are supplied by carbon neutral water electrolysis, which is what, you know, when you talk when you hear Twiggy Forest talk about green hydrogen, and we've talked about it on the show before, Queensland is trying to use solar to do this thing where you extract hydrogen from water and effectively then you've got hydrogen atoms. Well, what this would essentially do is mean you could have both hydrogen atoms and ammonia fuel cells. And I really, really liked this quote. One of the next challenges I'd like to think about is how to generate ammonia from water instead of hydrogen gas. The dream is to put in water, air and sunlight to create fuel. I mean, that'd be good. And I think think they're getting closer and closer. They seem to be getting closer. Like... As a person who didn't study chemistry after 1990, my familiarity with the particular terms involved in this process is, is not is not sure. expert. This is why I defer to the expertise of people who have studied and researched. It's crazy. If you don't know about something, implicitly trusting people who are qualified in talking about it is kind of phenomenal and gets you through life. And it is incredible what they're doing. They do seem to be getting closer. The fact that they're using this transitional metal technology mm. to create a nitrogen byproduct from ammonia and are putting the links together in a process like, it's something I was saying to you before when you were trying to explain it to me. It's like, isn't that how they power the DeLorean and Back to the Future too? Like, you just put stuff <laughs> in it and it goes? Like, that's amazing. It feels a bit like that. And I think, you know, there's billions of dollars in investment in green hydrogen in Australia and around the world. And if part of that now we start to go, actually, the ammonia elements of that can also be harnessed as a fuel, then, you know, we are very, very close to resolving the world's fuel crisis. Which would be great. Yeah. You know, and if it totally ruins the kind of people who've been pushing fossil fuels at the expense of life on Earth, 
I think that all the better. Oh, it would be great. But you've got a really good news story about trees. I have a really good news story about trees that I think is just beautiful, and it's got to do with India. Yes. So India um, has had various environmental problems, as you can imagine, very like, you know, structurally poor post-colonial country with, you know, imposed structural problems, the rest of it. Um, But the really good news is that in the past three years alone, they have grown the forest cover of India by half uh, by half a million acres, grown it. So that takes into account the equation with the amount of tree cover that has been deforested. Yeah. They're actually growing their tree cropper. And they're doing this in all kinds of ways. Like it, they're just encouraging local initiatives with tree planting and communicating around the benefits of tree planting environmentally in terms of uh, soil regeneration and local prosperity, creating like, you know, the the holy grail of ecological economic relationships between, um, you know, expanded mm. natural resources. It's amazing. One of these I want to talk about because it's so beautiful, um, a town in Rajasthan uh, called Piplantry. Mm-hmm. They are one of those small towns, a lot of traditional values that used to um, oblige families to pay a dowry if they had a girl to marry off girls. Right. So obviously if you're a family that has lots of children and lots of girls, you end up on a very rough uh, economic end of that particular tradition. A, a, part, a number of intersecting social policies to promote the education of girls, to take economic burdens off families, to encourage higher levels of educational attainment and, and to regenerate the local environment which had suffered heavy deforestation created this amazing scheme where the town contributes to a fund um, to provide a girl's dowry on the condition that she's not married until she's after 18. Right. So this fund is, you know, people can contribute through a taxation mechanism Mm -hmm. and the fund means that it's it's held in trust from the day the girl is born Mm -hmm. and then when she comes of age it has attracted interest, it's been invested and the rest of it. The negotiation with the family is that in return for that fund existing, Mm -hmm. it's the family's responsibility to plant 111 trees in the baby girl's honour. And what's happened, of course, and that's a lot cheaper, like planting those trees and nurturing those trees, they've become like a really powerful symbol of not only the importance of trees but the importance of girls. So they're like sort of almost sacred forests that are being built by families to honour the fact that having a baby girl has not destroyed them and to repay the town for the generosity of supporting the girl's dowry. But it, what's it, what has also happened is it's encouraged a great cultural sense of stewardship and importance around the project of planting trees and what trees mean. And the social outcomes are not just based around like improved air quality, mm, improved mm. soil, improved like, you know, economic the things that opportunities. We all know about, yeah. But um it's also massively lowered the crime rate. Fantastic. Yeah, because people are like, this place is beautiful. We're yeah. really lucky to live here. Why would we be tempted to do criminal things? And there are opportunities that have been economically created by expanded forests and a nicer place to live in the rest of them. That's great news. I love that story. I, I think, think it's brilliant. I think that's a brilliant story. And I think, on you know, 
given all the other things we talked about today, I think that's a really lovely uh, good news story to, to end on uh, this episode. People are fundamentally good. It's all about giving people opportunities to do good things. Absolutely. If you give people an opportunity to do good things, they will do good things. And on that note, I have to say, Van, giving people the opportunity to support the week on Wednesday. You guys are the best. Has been just so rewarding, obviously, but just so heartwarming because people have really supported the podcast. You know, we've been blown away by the people who are giving one-off contributions, monthly contributions. You know, I really didn't expect many people would be willing to pay $20 a month for us to do the week on Wednesday. Uh, These are our cadre members, uh, our cadre contributors. They've just continued to blow my mind with their support. And people who make a contribution to the show know that we reinvest the money that you give us into promoting the podcast, um, fixing up bits and pieces, maintaining our equipment and the rest of it. So we do it to get the podcast in front of more ears and we put the money into paid advertising in various places so we can land on other people's radars and hopefully they can get out of the show what you do. And let me just say January was our biggest ever month for downloads. February is already shaping up as another big month for downloads. We've smashed through 300,000 downloads for all time. Keep in mind that it was only in July of 2021 that we got to 100,000. So, you know, that was nearly, that took us 10 months to get to 100,000. It took us just over six months to get another 200,000 on top of that. And we'd like to say we understand not everybody has the dollars. It's been a pretty crazy couple of years for us all. If you want to help the show and you can't make a contribution, and that's totally fine, we'd love it if you just refer a friend or a family member and say, I really enjoy this podcast. Maybe you would as well. Absolutely. The podcast will always be free to download and listen. That's our 100% ironclad guarantee to you. I would rather us not do it than have to charge a subscription. It's about the message. It's about the conversation. It's about, you know, getting the getting the story out there. Oh, before we do our roll call of all the beautiful people who support us, I do want to promote something. I'm going to Canberra, Ben. Canberra. I'm going to Canberra on the 28th of February. Yes. Because I'm appearing at ANU. Yes. Uh, All of this information is on my socials in various places. Uh, But I'm doing an in-conversation with the great Andrew Lee. Yes. um, Who is, of course, the member for Fenner in Canberra. No fan of fascism, um, MP uh, Dr. Lee. I'd like to say that about every MP. I'd love to be able to say that about every MP in the Australian Parliament. I'm pretty (sighs) confident uh, there are no fascists in the Labor Party. other parties, maybe not so well, sure. We should also say, Van, you and I are going to do the Fabians next Tuesday we night. We are doing the Fabians next Tuesday night, um, which will be fantastic. And for those of you who've written to us going, I'd like to know more about politics, um, but who aren't necessarily interested in joining a political party, which is not always the best way to learn about uh, political ideas, let's be fair, um, the Fabians is a time-honoured institution devoted to talks and ideas around politics. And they do heaps of events. Most of them are online as well as in person from time 
time to time. Um, they run a magazine. They do all kinds of things. It's a great way to learn about politics so is to get involved. Next Tuesday night, we're going to do it. It's all online so you can register. Uh, you can check out the Week on Wednesday Facebook page for details. Australian Fabians have details as well. Uh, don't forget if you're in Canberra to get along and see Van and Dr. Andrew Lee uh, talk about why fascists He's are bad. He's got a PhD from Harvard. That's, uh, that, to be fair, that is actually That's fairly pretty impressive. impressive. Yeah. yeah. I know, so, I know we don't like tall poppies in this country, did, but that's impressive. He did a really, really great speech, absolutely slamming the nonsense that's been going on in Canberra. I would have known someone who was mentioned in that speech. I yeah. might have been mentioned yeah. in that speech, but also Professor Claire Rowett, um, yes. who's another extraordinary academic, um, it, like lots of good people. Peter Fitzsimmons. Peter Fitzsimmons, another wonderful person, incredible author were also mentioned in that speech, but he went there, you know, and, like, fascists are scary. I mean, I know this. Yeah. You know this because you live with me and you yeah. see the love letters I get Every on day. a daily basis. And um, and for an MP to just rip into them was fantastic. So do check that out on my socials and join us on the 28th of February in Canberra. Fantastic. So quickly, just big shout-out to our cadre supporters, uh, Leona Gibbons, someone at Lee Archer, Linda Cartwright, at Leanne Shingles, Louise Moran, Donna Chapman. I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers, at Kerry Nash 20, Billy 3 McCabe, Cara Will Robinson, Nerissa Simon, Cadigal, Lauren and Ash, Matthew Hadley, at Narunga Man, Josh Sharpen, Peter Barth, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, slash at Red, White, Blue, Lou. And extending the reach, Graham Oxley, Beck Cody, Tracy Lucas, Belinda Bravo, Sandy Honan, Gail Vest, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, and I love you, and I see you every week and I love you, K2E, Bo Sullivan, Eliane and Andrew, Ivor Spillett, Jennifer Berkeley, Andrew Bryan, Tamara James, Peter OC, Linda, Sam Hadid, Keir Patterson, Lizette Twizzle, Bunkum Basher, Katie Ward, Daniel Slavin at The Real Never Longbody, Sandy Bomegut at Not Sandy B, Melody Patterson, Renee McGee, Stuart Munn, Claire, Joe Lapino, Steph, Rachel Fitzpatrick, and Pauline Bate. These are our uh, cadre and extend the reach contributors. Uh, we also have our Buck a Week contributors who do get shout outs on our supporter page, buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to share, like, comment. Tell us our dog is cute. All those things. That's the most important. We also have now, we are running a bit of uh, video footage on TikTok and YouTube, just giving it a go. And you have to tell Ben how good he's doing <laughs> because he's worked out all the filming himself. Yeah, it's all it's all very rough and ready in true week on Wednesday style. Love you, Vanny. I love you too. You're the best. Bye. Bye.